Thank you all. What a tremendous opportunity to be here. Tremendous message already tonight. I, I, as the second speaker, I will try not to be long. You do know what it means when a Baptist preacher says that, right? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. Can I say to the parents here, I had a chance to preach to your young people today. They were tremendous in chapel. Well behaved, listened well. It was just a great experience to preach to them, and I commend you and them for that. And then, again, to say to the parents, you don't know how much I appreciate what you're doing having your children in Christian school. When I was in high school, uh, my Christian friends primarily went to Christian schools. I went to public school, second largest public school in the United States. And I longed to go to a Christian school. And uh, I started working when I was 15. I said, I will take the money that I earn and pay my tuition. My mother would not allow me to do that. She was hostile towards spiritual things, exceptionally hostile towards Christian school. And uh, in fact, she cursed me several times because I asked to go to Christian school and slapped me at least twice. And, and I just longed to be able to have that kind of education and that kind of training. I thank God that you're the kind of parents that are getting that for your young people. You're to be commended. Praise God for you. We quickly mention a little book I have over here called Faithful Baptist Witness. First book that I, I wrote, been in print for, I don't know, 26 years, something like that. But um, and it's probably the thing I'm best known for. It explains what a Baptist is, what Baptists believe, something of the history of the people going back to the first century that have believed these things, why it's important. We're in a day when young people have abandoned our independent Baptist churches in droves thinking that it doesn't matter. It does. I encourage you. This was written to be simple. It was written for the average person to be able to read and be comfortable with. Uh, there's some wonderful Baptist history books that are $100 and 500 to 1,000 pages. They're really, they are wonderful. I just had the idea that most of our people weren't buying them or reading them. And this was written for the average person in the pew. And we have those books over on the side if you're interested later. I'm going to take you to several places in the scripture tonight. I want to talk about a very simple, basic subject. We're doing our messages this week on the grandeur of the Creator God. Would you start with me by going to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5? I want to talk tonight about the jealousy of God. I, I know when we hear about jealousy, our normal thought is that that's a negative, destructive emotion, and often it is. Often people are jealous over that which they have no right to be jealous over. Uh, I have told people for years that I do not need situation comedies on television because I've worked in Bible colleges. I just watch college-age romances, and that's all, there's always something to laugh at. And uh, I've watched folks try to make each other jealous or folks get jealous when there was no reason to be and all that. Uh, sometimes it's just hysterical. Sometimes jealousy is really destructive. I've seen marriages torn by jealousy. I've seen jealousy in churches where this person thinks he should be the deacon or she thinks she should be the Sunday school teacher or that they should do the special music. And I've seen all kinds of negative, destructive jealousy. But that's not the only kind of jealousy there is. 
There is a legitimate jealousy. A husband, a wife would have every reason to feel legitimate jealousy if someone paid inappropriate attention to their spouse. You have the right to be jealous over your children and those that would misuse them. A pastor has the right to be jealous over his people and those that would misuse the people that he pastors. We're living in a strange day. The Bible tells us, and God's plan of a local church is that believers assemble together, a pastor teaches us the Word of God, leads us in spiritual things, we listen to his teaching, and we watch him and his life, and we see how his teaching works out in his life. That is not what's happening today. Folks get their theology from people on the Internet who they've never met. If they passed them in the mall, they wouldn't know who they were. They have no idea how what they're teaching works out in their life. That's not the plan of God. It's appropriate for a pastor to be jealous over folks who would mislead his people. And in God, our sovereign God, there is an attitude of jealousy towards us because we belong to Him. Just look at a few references in Scripture. There, there's over 30. But Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Turn over to Exodus chapter 34. Verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous. See, God has a number of names in the Scripture. Every one of His names tells you something important about who He is. You have the title God, capital G, which is a reference in several languages, that word describes the Creator. He is God. He is the Creator. You have the word Lord, capital L, small o, small r, small d, which refers to being a ruler. And it, it's a word that is used of others besides God in places and situations where they rule. But it is used of Him because He is the ruler of the world. You have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the word Jehovah. It is an amazing word. The words for God and Lord, small letters, are found in every language human beings have ever developed. Languages come as human beings put a sound to a concept. And every language ever discovered has the word for God and Lord, small letters. In the history of mankind, only one language ever had a word like Jehovah because it was a concept Men could not invent. It only came by revelation. It is a reference to the Savior God. What a name. God has a number of names. Names that imply that He provides. Names that imply that He's God of holiness. He has names that, that tell you a number of things about Him. But here's one of His names. Jealous. He is a jealous God. That's serious for a number of reasons. Now, again, there's over 30 references to this that interest me. One in particular interests me. won't go there, but Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 30 talks about 
his jealousy smoking against the man that defies him. I've had people ask me, what does that mean when it says his jealousy smokes against you? I don't know. I don't know a good explanation for that verse. But doesn't that sound a little scary? The thing that I'm sure of is I don't want his jealousy smoking against me. Whatever that means. And again, over 30 times, we're told God is a jealous God. Can I suggest to you some things that he's jealous about? First of all, he's jealous about his deity. He wants to be recognized and acknowledged as God. This is his world. He created it. Doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Doesn't matter whether you accept it or not. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. And we are blessed to live in a country whose founders understood there was a creator God and the truth of their creator God implied some other truths. We owe these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Yes, I know all about how it took a long time to work that all through our society in a world where there wasn't a nation on the face of the earth that acknowledged that truth. We didn't get to it first. We started with it, and it took a while to develop it out. That's just a fact. But glory to God, we started with it, or we would never have developed it out. We have a creator, God, and he wants to be seen as God, and he's jealous over his position of his God. I made it very clear there was not to be any worship of any other God, none of this nonsense about multiple gods, none of this nonsense about worshiping a variety of gods. It shows up over and over again in the Scripture. You see it, for example, in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, who had created his own class of government servants by taking the brightest and best young people out of all the different nations, 34 that he conquered, bringing them to Babylon, having them trained to become the employees, if you will, of a ruling government class. And he came to a moment where there was something he expected out of all of them, that they would acknowledge the image that he built. According to secular history, the image he built looked remarkably like him. And you were supposed to acknowledge and worship that image now, it was not a big deal for most of these folks gathered from these countries. Most of them had three gods or six gods or a thousand gods. So they're basically being asked to, add a, uh, asked to add one god to the list. What's the big deal? Seriously. If you have six gods, what's the problem with having seven? Especially when you consider the price tag. The price tags, a fiery furnace. The Babylonians had their own design for a fiery furnace, so literally it normally took you a while to die. You literally roasted. Horrible death. And okay, six gods and a fiery furnace, or seven gods and no fiery furnace, of course you're taking the seventh god. And many of the Jewish young men bowed the knee. I'm sure they didn't want to. I'm sure none of them were excited about it. Probably most of them were saying as they bowed, Lord, forgive me, I don't want to do this. There were three who would not bow. They would not take a knee to anything or anyone but the real God. That's a story we tell, still tell in Sunday school today. It's resonated throughout history because they acknowledged who God really was and God intervened on their behalf as He often does. 
He's jealous of his position as God. Can I say he's jealous of his sovereignty? The founders of this country, as the uh, preacher just illustrated, and there are many, many others, illustrations, understood that they needed to build a country. If it was going to be built on the idea that God created all men equal, there needed to be a constant acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. And they built it all through our institutions, through our monuments, through our songs, over and over and over again. They acknowledged that he was God. And if you saw today, I found it interesting, in the debate over the possible new Supreme Court nominees. There are some folks very angry at the name of one woman who's been brought up because she apparently said in a hearing when asked in the past if she valued God's law more than man's law. And she said she did. There are folks screaming, that disqualifies her from being a judge in the United States. I don't know much about her, but I like her already. Some years back, I was sitting, fortunately, in the spec- among the spectators at a trial where a preacher was being put on trial. They went the back and forth and the two sides on, on picking the jury, and they'd agreed on a jury, and the judge said, now I want to question the jury. Federal court. Judge said, I want to know if there's anybody among the potential jurors that thinks there's a higher authority in this courtroom than I am. Elderly black man raised his hand. He said, ma'am, he said, God's a higher authority in this class, in this courtroom than you are. And for that matter, so is the Constitution. I found out you get in trouble in court when you say amen. I just did that out of habit, you know, that's what we do. She ruled him ineligible for the jury. But I, I was in a county court some years ago in Indiana. I was asked to testify. It was a church-state battle, and a state was a church was saying it could not follow this county rule because it was contrary to Scripture, and the county did not have the right to make rules for churches, and they don't. And uh, the judge had permitted them to bring in three witnesses to testify to the concept of separation of church and state. I was amazed to that, but the judge agreed, and they asked me to be one of the three people, and I got to speak for a little bit about the concept of separation of church and state. The judge then ruled in, front of the, in favor of the church, and after the court uh, case was over, the judge did not get up and leave like I've always seen it done. He hung around and said he wanted to visit with the preachers that had spoke. So we just sat around talking to the judge. He said, you know, he said, I try to remind myself of something every day that God is going to judge me for how I judge men. He said, I don't want to be in trouble with God. Man, I wish every court was staffed with judges like that. God's jealous of his sovereignty. God is jealous. He does not want you to acknowledge the person of another God. He does not want you to acknowledge that someone else is in charge other than he is. He is the sovereign. God is jealous of His glory. We forget this sometimes in our churches. Sometimes in our ministries, we preachers forget this. The glory does not belong to us, even when God uses us. Even when God is so gracious that He does something through us, that that it's just marvelous you see what God does. 
And sometimes, if you're honest at all as a preacher, you find yourself watching what God is doing, and it's I'm like, this, really? I get to be part of this? Isn't this amazing what God's doing? But God is jealous of His glory, and more than once, we could tell the story of a preacher who got puffed up with, look at what God had done through him. And God had to bring him down again. As churches, sometimes we look at what God does through a church and we get kind of puffed up. And I'm a member of that church. Look what it's accomplished. Look what we have done. But I'm going to tell you, God is jealous of his glory. We ought not to give to men. It is wonderful to be grateful to people that God has used, people that God has used to bless us. That, that is a wonderful thing. But we ought not to get puffed up with this because it's not our glory. And we're not the ones who deserve the praise. It's great when somebody's willing to be used of God. It's great when a church is willing to be used of God. Hard as it is for me to come to grips with, I've been preaching now. For, I've been in full-time Christian work for 46 years. Started preaching my freshman year in Bible college so 50 years ago. And I've preached in some churches that had the blessing of God on them and then went through some period of time when they began to get puffed up and it became about their own glory. It became about the preacher's glory. And today... There are churches where nothing is happening for God, maybe sometimes where the doors are shuttered. The buildings have been sold to something that's not even a church. God is jealous of His glory because He has the right to be because He's God. God's jealous of His people. We belong to Him. We're supposed to live like we belong to Him. We're supposed to act like we belong to Him. We're supposed to follow without question His moral principles and not ours. We're supposed to be obedient to His commands regardless of how a contemporary society feels about those commands. And over and over again in Scripture, you'll find this truth. God judges those that arouses His jealousy there is judgment for being disobedient to God. When this country was founded, it was pointed out in the message yesterday morning, it was pointed out in the message already today, when this country was founded, we said that God would be our God. The Bible said, blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. We said we would acknowledge the God of the Bible. And that led to the understanding of several other issues, created a setting where God could bless this nation incredibly. As an infant nation, we became the wealthiest nation in the world. As an infant nation, we became the most powerful nation in the world. And most of the time, not always, that wealth and power has been used for good. It was the United States, along with Britain, that broke the power of the Nazis and the fascists. That's something the whole world benefited from. It was the United States, and again, I'll have to give Britain uh, credit. It was Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher that broke the power of worldwide communism that was spreading faster than you could keep track of every year, taking over new nations. I remember 
when I was uh, just very, very early in the ministry and teaching in a Christian school and teaching a couple history classes. And I can remember getting, well, they were getting the lessons from a secular source and getting lessons that said that it was inevitable that Soviet Union would conquer the whole world and we would come under the control of the Soviet Union. There was nothing that could be done to stop it. Late 1970s, a lot of folks felt that way. You'd see bumper stickers, bumper stickers that said, better red than dead. Every now and then I'd see a bumper sticker that said, better dead than red. There's a price tag for disobeying God. This nation has often obeyed God. I remember the 60s. All over the United States, there were young people rioting and demanding that Americans' Christian culture be overthrown and a socialist America take its place. Sound familiar? I don't mean to minimize that, but we did survive that. And um, there had been a German philosopher, Nietzsche, who'd written a whole book about this, and he'd popularized the phrase, God is dead. And back in the 60s, that phrase was coming up everywhere, all over American society. There's a group of theologians began to popularize the idea that we should become independent of God, that God was dead. We should, one, one of them wrote about it and said, we should declare God's death, whether he died or not, whether he ever existed or not. We should declare him dead because when we declare him dead, we will become free and we can do anything we want. And so during the demonstrations of the 60s, the demonstrators often would carry big banners that said, God is dead. They did it in France. They did it in England. They did it in the United States. And a wise man in France started printing bumper stickers that said, Nietzsche is dead, God. God is jealous of his place and his relationship And there's a price tag, the very first mention we found of the jealousy of God. He said that he visited his judgment on people. We find here, again, in Deuteronomy 29, it says that his jealousy would smoke against the man that defied him. Again and again, the concept of the jealousy of God is connected to the concept of judgment. And I will tell you two things right now. God is still blessing the United States for things that the United States does right. We are the world's missionary nation. Not only do 90% of the missionaries come from the United States, the handful that come from other countries are often financed by churches in the United States. We are the world's missionary nation. God blesses that. We are the nation that makes Israel possible in a hostile world. And God blesses that. There have been some interesting aspects of that in the last few days. There's more interesting aspects to come from what we're told. God blesses that and He honors that. But second thing I would tell you, the United States and Christian people in our churches face the judgment of God. Because there are some things that God always judges. God judges the shedding of innocent blood. 
The Bible makes it crystal clear that He does. And God judges the United States because of the shedding of innocent blood. I will tell you just one of the ways that I believe that judgment comes. A nation that feels comfortable with child sacrifice. Let's not make any bones about it. Abortion is just child sacrifice. A little bit more technologically sophisticated than the ancient Canaanites did. They had to wait for the baby to actually leave the womb before they could dissect it. We do it with a little bit more technological sophistication. Do not think for a moment God does not judge that. And let me tell you one of the ways that God judges it. People lose their sensitivity about the sacredness of human life. Violence fills a culture when the most innocent ones are allowed to be violated like that. And look around. Violence is filling our culture at a speed that we almost cannot keep track of. That's what happens when you erode the sanctity of life. And you'll never stop it until you reclaim the sanctity of life. I say that as a rebuke to our many, many of our politicians. But I also say that as a rebuke to many, many of our churches. Because we've gotten kind of callous about accepting this. It's just the way it is. Our pulpit should still thunder against this kind of ungodliness. And God judges moral perversion. So who's to say what's perverse and what isn't? Boy, there's an answer to that. People say that, and they say that to us as human beings, and they say, you're not God. How can you say what's right and wrong? You're absolutely right. We're not God, and we're not entitled to make that decision. Forgetting that God is God and is entitled to make that decision. And his decisions have been revealed clearly to us. You cannot exalt moral perversion. I understand it happens whether a nation promotes it or not, but it happens in much, much smaller amounts and with much less significance when a nation stands against it, when a nation promotes it. It fills a nation with perversion that offends a holy God. I've been blessed to do a fair amount of traveling. I've preached in over 30 countries, taught Bible college courses in a number of countries, traveled a fair amount. You want to know what the United States is most famous for? You say it's sports, it's the economy. You want to know what we're most famous for? Our pornography. The United States, yes, there's some produced in Japan and some European countries, but we are the primary producer of pornography for the world. Do not think for a moment that there is not a price tag for that. You know why? He's a jealous God. Can I just make three applications of that truth real quick and I'll be done? First of all, we ought to be flattered that the creator of the universe would be jealous of us. It's an amazing thought when you get a hold of it. That what we do, the natural thought would be that man is so insignificant, the Bible even asks the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? My goodness, we ought to be flattered that God would be jealous of us. Secondly, 
we should be in constant review of our life and our circumstances. That our life and circumstances would all be adjusted to the truth of the Creator God who is jealous of us, to whom we belong by right of creation. And thirdly, we're giving God reason to smoke at us. We ought to be on our knees asking God to work in our hearts, to forgive us, to clean us up, to let us be people that could be blessed of Him. God speaks to your heart. Don't miss a moment like this. Martin Luther wrote that the greatest truth in the history of the universe is this. Salvation is to be found in a person. Salvation was to be found in a list of good deeds. You and I would be in trouble. Salvation was to be found in finding a way to pay for all of our sins. You and I would be in trouble. Salvation was to be found in a set of accomplishments. You and I would be in trouble. Salvation is found in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. The grandeur of a creator God, that He would be a Savior God that offered salvation to us. Can't tell you how many times somebody's told me, look, I just don't deserve it. I don't qualify for it. I'm not good enough for it. I just... Salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did for you and me on the cross of Calvary. Mentioned to the kids this morning, I, I was a bus kid, got saved when I was 10. The church I attended was a denominational church. If you looked at the doctrinal statement of the denomination, they did not believe in salvation by faith. It was purely a work salvation. I didn't know anything about that as a 10-year-old kid. That pastor had somehow discovered the truth of salvation by faith. He preached it clearly. He trained church workers to present that truth to folks. I got saved by faith in a church that on paper didn't believe in that. When I was 15, the bishop of the denomination discovered what the pastor was preaching. Came in one Sunday morning to find out he'd been fired for teaching salvation by faith. And representatives of the denomination then tried to explain to us what salvation was really all about. I wasn't a theologian. I was a bus kid. I'd just been to one church. I thought every church believed salvation by faith. I didn't know the difference between a Catholic church and a Nazarene and a Pentecostal. I was stunned and shocked at the idea. But I knew this really well. I hadn't earned my way to heaven but I was on my way there anyway because I got this. I might not be a theologian. (laughs) It's the first church fight I was ever involved in. I might not have been a theologian, but I knew this. Christ died for me, and I trusted what He'd done for me. That Sunday night, as they did on Sunday night, they had the teenage boys take up the offering. Happened to be my turn that night. We came up to take up the offering, and they called on me to pray for the offering. I prayed a typical offering prayer, Lord, bless the gift, bless the giver, bless the service, you know. And then I started. I thanked the God for eternal security. 
I thank God for salvation by faith. I thank God for dying for me on the cross. I threw every bit of theology in that prayer that my 15-year-old bus kid mind could come up with. That generated a visit during the week that led to me never attending that church again. I didn't know much, but I knew this. I was saved by the grace of God and what Jesus Christ had done for me. And that is the greatest story in the history of the universe, is that salvation is to be found in a person. The grandeur of the Creator God, that He would be jealous for me, and He would be the Savior God, and make my salvation possible. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't leave tonight without settling that. 